just really, I had no idea, you know, that the, that the Saints was cussing. I, I just had, they was cussing and drinking. The I'm like, Saints wait a minute. be cussing and drinking, honey. <laughs> okay, don't get it twisted. <laughs> they do. I remember I was helping my best friend Sean promote his stage play that we were producing mm-hmm. when we were in undergrad and we visited this Baptist church and there was a deacon sitting outside posted up against his Cadillac and he had his cane in one hand and a cigarette in the other <laughs> child and I was like sir I just want to tell you about our play he was like I don't have a free hand to take your flyer but thank you <laughs> thank you for sharing young lady that's so funny <laughs> I'm telling you man I just I'm like, I'm like, oh, we're just good at covering up stuff because child did not know. It wasn't until I, I joined the Baptist church when I was living out in Utah. Uh, and I was like, oh, Utah? Oh. What were you doing in Utah? Yeah. Girl. Yeah. Only anyway. the Lord, honey. Only, only the Lord. Only. <laughs> Utah. Only. Uh, yeah, the Baptists <laughs> be getting it in. I love being oh. Baptist because I was raised in a middle-class Caribbean Episcopal church. And Ooh. so... Very high church, Sounds like very fancy, by the yes, way. Yes, <laughs> like very fancy, very British colonized, Britishly colonized. <laughs> we were giving it to the girls with the colonialism and imperialism. But we had white Jesus, he had brown hair and brown eyes. And I was an acolyte, which is an altar girl, serving on the altar with my priest, ringing the bells, lighting the candles, extinguishing the candles, doing all the things, right? And so over time, I always, well, growing up in that church, I had an abstract understanding of God. I was like, God is this force and my mom makes me go to church every Sunday, like something is happening here. It wasn't until I was a teenager and we had a revival at my church and it wasn't like Baptist or Pentecostal tent revival. It was like, bring your favorite tambourine to the Episcopal church revival. That's just what it was. And so I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of peace shrouding me while I was in the sanctuary. And I was like, what is this? And that was the first time I really truly felt the Holy Spirit yeah, and, or that I was cognizant of it, you know, in a very tangible way. And uh, my mom, she dragged me out of the church and she was like, why are you crying? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to go back inside. And that was the first time that God let me know that I could have a visceral experience about God, that it wasn't just about your routine and what you're accustomed to doing. And we do the same thing every Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out, page 355 of the Book of Common Prayer. It was like, no, I can completely just overwhelm you and wrap you in my love and make you feel like you're the only person in the room right now. Like the same way we be locking lock eyes about them, the club, you know what I'm saying? God did the same thing in that moment, making me feel like I was the most important being in the world in that moment. Oh. And so having that experience and going off to college where at Seat Hall University, I met these born again Christians. And I was like, I I'm cool with Jesus. I don't act like y'all, y'all here trying to get everybody saved. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you were to die tonight, you going to heaven or hell, like all that, you know, yeah. oh, Jesus. Really great. So <laughs> I fell in with them because they were all brilliant, beautiful people and they were my friends. But that was where I had a really radical religious conversion experience. And I went to a Pentecostal church and had my cute little service, introduced myself. And then at the end of the service, I went to go sit down in a chair, girl. And completely missed the chair. I was writhing like a fish out of water. And my best friend, Sean, was in the musician's pit, like 10, 15 feet away. And he hops over the musician's pit and he comes to me and he says, hallelujah, in my ear. I say hallelujah twice and start speaking in tongues. I don't even oh know what my tongues gosh. are. I don't even know what tongues are, girl. <laughs> 
And so it was just like, God was like, I wow. got him. <laughs> like, we got him. We fucking wow. got him. Like, God was like, we got him, you know? So <laughs> it was in that moment that I developed a zeal for scripture because I felt like quoting the Bible was the only thing that was really super different from my childhood church. Actually, that's not true. I take that back. Another thing that was very different in the Pentecostal church, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, was this demonstrative worship. Because when I walked in and service really got going, people were crying and screaming and lifting their hands. And I had never seen that before. Mm -hmm. And so at one point in time, I had to close my eyes because I was just so distracted by the commotion that I was just like, all right, let me get quiet. Let me go inward and let me talk to God for myself so you having grown up in the church that was just what you were accustomed to oh yeah oh yeah like to the point where I was so uncomfortable in settings where it was not demonstrative mm. I was like what's happening like are you mm. are you checked out like are you mm-hmm. even here what's going on like are you feeling inwardly what we're feeling outwardly like I was mm. so confused you know like why aren't you expressive right right y'all don't right. got no oil right right <laughs> ain't no oil in here ain't no oil in here acting like God is that he ain't dead act like he alive you know I'm it was screaming. all of that we are we, we, we one of the track stars and here we run laps and all of that She's a runner. She's a track star. Okay. So praise the Lord, saints and ancient in between. Um, my name is LaVon Briggs. I'm a body and sex positive womanist, pastor, preacher, teacher, poet, author, and creator. And I am the author of the forthcoming book, Sensual Faith, The Art of Coming Home to Your Body. And welcome to Shades of Brown Podcast. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> Y'all. So clearly this introduction is nothing like what you're used to, okay? Miss LeVron Briggs is in the building, all right? And we're just going to go with the flow. <laughs> we out here. I'm the daughter of Caribbean immigrants, honey, so I need the ear horn, okay? I need the ear horn this to know said, I got it. I got your introduction. Here's your introduction. I got, I got you, you, boo. Okay? We not even, because we clearly, we already comrades in the spirit, all right? We just been flowing, and I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. And disclaimer, y'all, there will be cussing in this episode. That There's just- I have already cussed, so <laughs> you know what kind of space it's going to be. So if you holiness is still right, and I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't have sex, I'm hope this is not the episode for you, honey, because you about to be speaking in tongues. You about to be pleading All of the them. All the tongues. All, 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 if I- if if I had 10,000 tongues, hallelujah, <laughs> glory. Oh, I'm weak already. I promise, I promise. I'm still saved deep down on the left-hand side. On the I left-hand. really, really am. On the left-hand side, deep down in my Eba Shondo. <laughs> and also, I have been on a liberation journey, you know? So yeah. when we're talking about Pentecostal church, you know, King James Version of the Bible, those were the scriptures we were always quoting and I started to have questions about the Bible. I was like, well, who wrote this? And they would say, well, the Bible says, I'm like, I know what it says, but what is it saying? Because there's a difference between what the Bible says, quote unquote, and what the Bible is actually saying when you contextualize yeah. it, when you look at the original language or languages. Girl, let's get into it. Because I was earlier today preparing for this podcast, I was listening to an old sermon of yours and I was like, Ooh, which one? It was uh, Bethlehem Lutheran. Bethlehem Lutheran Church. Was it the most recent one? Was it Black Girl Softness? Was it? It was about a year ago. You said you said it was your your first time preaching. Your first time. Yes. David and Goliath. Okay, that one. David and Goliath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The way you brought that text down, I was like, honey, did I preach, honey, or did I preach? (laughs) 
because the revelations that were coming no, to me and so for, real. for the uninitiated the sermon that I preached was about walking in your power right and we preach David and Goliath or we've heard David yeah. and Goliath preach so much it was like David was this little ruddy boy and mm-hmm. Goliath was this giant and he yeah. had to take him out right yeah. but when you look at the actual studies behind the language there are two different sides of the story right mm-hmm. so the Hebrew folks were saying okay he was 10 feet tall 10 cubits or whatever and the Greek folks were saying closer to six and it's like the difference between over nine feet tall mm-hmm. or under seven feet tall. And we have NBA players who are six foot 10. Yeah. So if Goliath was only six ten, baby, the giant wasn't as big as you think the giant is. We be Girl, the giant don't get me started up. I would, no. I, I'm a no. preacher, honey. I was listening to this in a <laughs> coffee shop and I was like, I'm getting stirred up. I cannot. Don't listen to my sermons in public if you're not trying to go in, okay? <laughs> trying to tell you. This is why we need more Black women preachers in the pulpit. Because yeah. we bring this energy and this essence yeah. and our storytelling and our experience to the space. And when you are in a Black church, there are mostly Black women in the congregation. So how are you going to tell me that God is just going to say, oh, if you're born with this particular genitalia, you can't preach? The hell? Mm-mm. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't have been here without that genitalia. Uh, hello. Praise the Lord. So y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we starting at a hundred. All right. Ain't no, ain't no buildup. But um, I do want to say this though. Uh, earlier in the season, I, I released a, an episode called, Am I Practicing Witchcraft? And this episode was featuring an amazing apologist. Um, Her name is Nefer Nitti. You can go back and listen to it. And in the episode, we discussed a wide range of things. We discussed the use of sage and crystals and manifesting and meditating, rituals, horoscopes, you you name it, we discussed it. And I got some really, really good feedback from from the episode. Um, I also received some challenging feedback from the episode. Amen. And... (laughs) And Levon, you and I share a dear friend, sis, who who is Alicia Alicia McCullough, who has also been on the podcast. I think in season two, she was on the podcast. So go back and listen to that episode. So yeah, um, Alicia texted me and graciously challenged me. Mm. And she was like, are you going to have another episode, you know, um, from a different perspective to to talk about these things? And Mm -hmm. she shared shared her thoughts and we got on the phone and we just like chit-chatted and talked about it. And I'm like, come on, come on the show, girl. Come on again. Yeah. I love you. And she was like, no, no, no. I think it should be someone, someone more like Levine. Reach out to Levine. I was, like, I was like, I just started following her. She's the one. She's the reason I started following you. I'm like, I don't know. I cannot reach out to her. Like, no. <laughs> her platform is huge. Like, no. I'm She's screaming. like, girl, reach out to Levine and have her Shoot on. your shot. Shoot every shot in 2022, y'all. Listen. Like. That is the word of the Lord from on high. And this, this is it's, the manifestation of shoot my shot. It. Listen, it does not that's work it. when it comes to me. It don't. But why, you know. are, you, why are you even speaking that? Uh-uh. <laughs> Death and life is in the power of the tongue. I don't want. I tried it once, sis. I, nah, I'm not doing it again. Then they just weren't aligned. We got to stop taking rejection mm. as, oh, I'm supposed to stop. Rejection is simply redirection. You know, it's saying, I got, okay, mm. this just wasn't the person. This episode ain't about inner child wounds. We ain't gonna go there. I do I'm have rejection screaming. issues. <laughs> okay, listen, and it's going to come up. We and we coming you. up. I'm like, I, I, I don't need yes, no more rejection. Yes, baby. If it comes up, it has to come out. Up and That's out. That's the only way you're gonna heal. Up and out. 
Come on out of here, devil. I'm screaming. I'm screaming. And I feel like in the Pentecostal, first of all, the Pentecostal church, right? And we'll talk about my shift to the Baptist church later. But the Pentecostal church is actually the Black Christian tradition that retains the most African-centered cultural and spiritual nuance. And so the fact that many Black Pentecostals, Black Christians, but Black Pentecostals demonize African spirituality, I'm like, sis, bruh, sibling, you're actually the one practicing the closest rendition to it on this soil. Let's get into it. Let's unpack it. Let's get to it. Mm -hmm. Let's unpack it. So share with us a bit about your your background in faith. You, you shared a bit about it earlier. You mentioned, share it again, the fancy organization. What, the Episcopal Church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was in a middle-class Caribbean Episcopal okay. Church. All of that is very important because okay. it was yeah. very much deeply ingrained with respectability politics yeah. and British colonialism and imperialism. And that gave me my understanding of rite and ritual and liturgy. And so that's yeah. what I grew up with. And then when I got to college, I was attending a Pentecostal church, which was much more demonstrative and helped me to bring the fullness of my bodily worship to the space. Uh-huh. But I still couldn't bring the fullness of my body to the space. There mm-hmm. were still certain parts of my body that were being demonized, my sexuality, yeah. my curves, my yeah. womanhood, right? Yeah. And so when I started having questions about the Bible, Sunday school and Bible study weren't answering them anymore. And so yeah. I started discerning my own path to seminary and mm-hmm. ended up at Yale Divinity School. And that's where I started to learn about Black liberation theology, womanist theology, queer theology, like all the things. Mm-hmm. And that was when I started to really unpack and interrogate the faith that I inherited and said, okay, what is going to work for me on the journey as a black woman of faith who wants to live her fullest life now, not in the great by and by. Yeah. You said something in that same sermon, in that same sermon that I was listening to earlier today, you said something, you was like the word and God is big enough to be deconstructed and interrogated. I'm like, girl, yeah, yeah. he's not shaking his kingdom. his, His throne is not intimidated by by our questions and by our, you know, our wrestle with these things. Had you always wrestled with um, your faith in this way or with the westernized way or the, or the colonialized way we do uh, worship? Or did it, did it come when you went to college, when that shift happened? The shift happened after I got to college and had my religious radical conversion experience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. developed this zeal for scripture and started having school questions about the scripture, questions about the Bible. And so I was like, I got to go where my questions are going to be answered. So any church to this day for me, that's like, well, we don't question God's word and we don't question God. I'm like, your God is too small for me because the God that I serve is big enough for my questions, my venting, my cussing, my kicking, my crying, my wailing, all of that. I get to bring everything about me to the space when God right? The God that I know of love and light and liberation is present. And so I started to really be on a quest of which spiritual leadership can I trust with my questions? Mm. And that led me to the Baptist tradition, particularly with Reverend Dr. Leslie D. Callahan. I want to shout her out because when I was a student pastor at Yale, she was my supervisor and she was the first woman pastor of a historic Black Baptist church in Northern Philly. And so that was history making, first of all, but it was really beautiful to see a Black woman in a position of power and leadership because up until that point, every person that I had seen as a spiritual leader in my communities was a man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. And so to to see a black yeah. woman pastoring, preaching, that representation teaching, is powerful. Right, right. The the representation, and not just that, she was also a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And so she didn't just have the pastoral gifts, yeah. she had the scholarship gifts as well. And so I was like, oh, I can be a pastor and a thinker. I can be creative. No, but that's so important that. though, because mm-hmm. I, I think we we have to stop right there for a second because there's this idea that, you know, when we're called, right, when we, we have these spiritual gifts and God calls us, that we don't also need to cultivate that gift and, you know, have some sort of educational background to validate that gift. Um, but it's like it's so necessary, especially for, for, for our generations, generation and the generations to follow. The, the the emotionalism and sensationalism, it just don't do it for us, at least not alone. We got questions, we want answers, and we and we are intellectuals, you know, like it's like, okay, yes, I, I'm a person of faith and I and I am, you know, a person of emotion and I do demonstrate my, you know, my worship to God, but also I have logic too, you know, like God doesn't require that I lay that down. So uh right. Can you give me something other than, you know, what you heard the past 50 years and what they heard the past 50 years? And Anytime I'm anytime I'm critical about, you know, um, black spiritual leadership that has not always been able to adequately give us the knowledge that we need in this faith. I also have to note that. It's not lost on me that most of our black spiritual leadership, they are just continuing in a pattern that, you know, their ancestors started and we didn't always have the same privilege or they didn't always have the same privilege as their, you know, white counterparts to go to seminary, to go to theology school, to go to the divinity school. So I have to, you know, make that clear that, you know, my criticism Mm -hmm. is not without understanding and and without context. It's just now, today in 2022, we do have the ability to be well-learned and well-versed. And we do have the ability to dig into scripture and to understand context so that when we are teaching in 2022, it is applicable to who we are today. So yeah, um, that, I think that's so beautiful. And also sis, it just kind of sank like, oh, sis went to Yale. Oh, Oh, light, light flex, you know, (laughs) slight flex. (laughs) Praise the Lord. <laughs> I did. And it was nobody but God. That was the only school that I applied to. And I got an 87% Ooh. merit scholarship. So that's how I knew it was God. I was like, yes. And you don't want me spending all this money? Praise the Lord. But wow. to your point, I got my second master's degree at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. And that was in 2013. And in that year, there was some research about Black Christian ministers. And they found that 80% of Black Christian ministers in the state of Georgia did not have a theological education. And I'm just thinking, y'all, when you go to the dentist, when you go to the ophthalmologist, when you go to the urologist, you're not going to somebody that don't have no training, no degree, no yeah. residency, no experience. Okay. Yeah. If you go to the podiatrist to get your bunion checked out and they be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a mechanic usually, but I'm showing up today as a podiatrist. You'd be like, um, sir, ma'am, non-gender conforming person, you are not performing surgery on me. So if we hold the medical doctors to that kind of standard, then what more should we be requiring of our spiritual doctors, our healers, our spiritual spiritualist to say, you need to be studied too. And so I get it. Access has been a problem. We can talk about race. We can talk about gender, class, status, all of that. Also, and there is a way to do what you need to do to to rightly divide the word of truth, right? And that means studying. Yeah. Theologically. Yeah. Formally. (laughs) (laughs) 
all the shade. I want all the smoke. Okay. Pew pew. I'm screaming. Oh Lord Jesus. So when you began to deconstruct your faith, what, what did that look like for you? Like, so great question. I actually want to say, I don't identify as a deconstructionist because that language has been co-opted by white evangelicals. And it just gives me fundamental white American Christianity. And that's not me. I actually identify as a daughter of the African diaspora, which means I am doing what my ancestors did. A lot of black Christians think their ancestors just took the white man's Christianity and I wouldn't have done that. First of all, you don't know what you would have done if you were out there. Pero that's another podcast episode. (laughs) Our ancestors didn't just take the white Jesus. They were actually subversive. They would go to what we call hush harbors, 2 a.m. in the morning and go down by the river and pray into buckets, right? And whisper their prayers to their God. So they would do what they needed to do in order to survive, right? And play patty cake with this white Jesus. But they were actually worshiping their gods. And our ancestors on the continent of Africa, which parenthetical citation, Jesus was North African, okay? Jesus wasn't white, European, Eurocentric, blonde hair, blue eyes, none of that. Jesus was black. Jesus was a nigga. And so (laughs) Jesus was North African. That means Christianity is an African traditional religion. It got co-opted and whitewashed, but our ancestors knew God before the colonizers brought their white Jesus. Our ancestors knew God. Can we just, our ancestors knew God. Before the colonizers brought their white Jesus. Let it sizzle in your spirit. Let that marinate. Our faith as a people does not begin and end with Jesus. And Mm. that's something that Black Christians are like, not after Resurrection Sunday. It's right after Resurrection Sunday. Because y'all went up to the heavens, the hedges, and highways this past Sunday. We're recording uh, seven days (laughs) of a good Friday. Sis, hold up now. Okay. (laughs) Which I was like, okay, y'all can have your seven last saying services. It's great. It's grand. But let's really be honest. If you attend a seven last word service and they end with the resurrection, that seven last word service has done a disservice to you because people want to rush to the resurrection, but they don't want to honor that the crucifixion was gruesome and it happened on a Friday, right? And Jesus did not just die for your sins, beloved. Jesus was an enemy of the state. He was a threat to empire. He was affecting the church's pockets. He was affecting Rome's pockets. And so they were like, that nigga got to go. Yeah. Okay. So he was murdered. He didn't just, Jesus came to die for my sins. That's what they taught us in the church. That's not the whole story. Not the whole story, sis. (laughs) Jesus was murdered because he was a threat to empire. And so we have to be honest about how we are disrupting the matrix of systems of oppression that are designed to annihilate us. It's not good enough for you to just go to church Sunday after Sunday and feel like I'm doing the Lord's work or I ministered the gospel or I gave somebody a Bible. Did you feed somebody? Did you clothe somebody? Did you love somebody? Did you affirm them? their entire being, right, as Mm -hmm. a creation of the divine. And so for me, when we're thinking about Holy Week, Holy Saturday is a day where the disciples were like, what the fuck? They gonna come for me next. I'm terrified. I'm laying low. I'm grieving the loss of this great teacher that I admired, my friend, my brother. Like, 
how about we have a holy week that helps us to grieve Mm. a holy week that helps us to mourn, particularly at a time like this, where we are going on year three of a global health crisis. And we have had to bury people, cancel graduations, not go to weddings. That shit hurts. Yeah. Right. Think of your friends, your line sisters, your cousins, your play cousins that you haven't seen in two years because Americans don't know how to sit down somewhere for two weeks so we could see this fucking virus dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. That's grief. That's lament. And so I'll close this part by saying many Christian churches have taught us that, you know, we got to be blessed and highly favored. And, you know, I'm so glad I don't look like what I've been through. Child, sometimes we need to look like what we fucking been through. Bruh. I'm over it. I'm so I'm so over this, you know, toxic positivity. Listen, it's just hard. Preach, sis. We out here just trying to survive. And, all, and this all this, be grateful this. And it, it could have been worse that. No, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's gory. But it's also gorgeous because yeah. in the same breath. It can be both. It's a both and, right? It doesn't that. have to be either or. You know, like the people who stop coming to church when life get a little rough and you be like, where you at? And it's like, oh, I'll be there next week. Maybe, yeah. right? Yeah. No, how about we have a cultural institution that is so spiritually attuned that we know when someone is going through it, that's when they need community the most. The most. That's when they need tribe and village the most. The most. So we got to really think about it. Why is it that when we're going through something, we run away from church and not to church? Oh, she coming for the church, y'all. She coming for the church. I come for that which I love. I critique <laughs> that which I expect to do better. Oh, we. Yeah. No, that's powerful though. That's that that's powerful. It, it's 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 unfortunate, but it's so real. Mm-hmm. It's so real. It's the pressure to perform, right? Yeah. And how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. What if we lived in a society, especially April, because content warning, sexual assault, because mm-hmm. April is sexual assault awareness month, right? Like, I can't just be like, oh, you know what? I smell my perpetrator's cologne when on this guy at the gym and I'm triggered as fuck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the kind of world that I want to live in. Because as Black women and Black girls, our numbers for that kind of shit, whoo, astronomical. The Black church is 85% Black women and we are not healing Black girls and women and femmes the way that we should be when it comes to male sexual violence, harm and that kind of thing. That's why it's so important to talk about our bodies. Yeah. And so back to your point about being a deconstructionist, I don't identify as that because what my ancestors did was syncretism. That's the word that I identify with. They took little bits of this, a little bit of that, and they uh-huh. blended and harmonized different traditions to make mm. their own spiritual practice. And that's what I'm doing now. So I do not sound like Pastor Johnson who's saying, well, if you have sex before marriage, you're going to hell. You need to keep your legs closed. Listen, Why? I saw, we going to talk about it. We going to talk about it. I saw your Listen. post today. You posted a reel. It was hilarious. <laughs> Which one, child? Because I'm the real queen. <laughs> the one about fornication. The one about like, 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you was right. like, when people say that sex before marriage is a sin, be like, I don't know nothing about that lifestyle because that's not me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what y'all got going on over there because I did. When I first got saved, quote unquote, honey, baby, sex was the first thing to go. I was celibate for eight years. Oh, my God. Mm. Hey. And anytime I got close to something that looked like sex, I would immediately roll over in the bed and start crying and feeling oh. nothing but guilt and shame. Jesus. How is it that my body is divinely designed to experience pleasure? How is it that as a woman, I am the bearer of the clitoris? Yes, the clitoris. We ladies are the only creatures in all of creation to possess one organ that has one soul delicious function. So I know God created pleasure because God created the clitoris. Pass the offering plate, please. I mean, you ain't got to agree, but this is... It's biology. It's biology. So, but back to the whole fornication not being a thing. Because <laughs> see, I mean... That's like, what we've been taught. What is you? What were you taught fornication is? I mean, it's like you just cannot do that. What it, what, but oh, define oh, what, oh, fornication. Oh, fornication. We've been taught it was premarital sex. Premarital yeah. sex. That is not... <laughs> When Paul was talking about fornication, Paul was not talking about <laughs> premarital sex. We got This is why it's so important to do not do not give me any ammo in this area, sis. Like, oh, don't no. tell it's me, don't correct. tell like, me, I can bust it open. <laughs> we do need bust it wide open for real. Ah! <laughs> They're going to be like, she ain't saying, who was that? Wait, wait a minute. At least one, one of your <laughs> listeners going to be in my DMs talking about, I'm praying for you. You leading God's people no. straight. <laughs> no, no. For the sister who you have been celibate, you have been hanging on or abstaining. You've been hanging Ooh, on. girl. Your three anniversary. Listen, turn this episode off right now. You just go and pray, okay? You you go and fast and pray. You don't listen to this, okay? Mm-mm. We about to miss but, it up for you. <laughs> here's the thing. If you want to be celibate because it's your time to focus on yourself, you want to be clear about a man's intentions, you know, you feel like God is calling you to a season of it, that's yeah. fine. But if you are in a committed relationship, exclusive, I'm talking to somebody, you've been with this man for six months. This man is courting you. This man loves God. He's in his word. He prays. He is happy, healthy, wealthy. He is fit. He drives a BMW. He got a condo. He wants to marry your ass with all of your baggage and all your shadow work that you are avoiding. And he is in it for the law. And you were like, well, we got to rain until marriage. <laughs> and every time you look at him, your lady parts just start salivating. You just, Lord, that man is so fine. What is evil about that? You guys, here's my disclaimer. The thoughts and views and opinions <laughs> are not necessarily reflective of Shades of Brown podcast. <laughs> I'm screaming. This is Lavani Lee's Patty Briggs, honey. Eight seven eighty two, based in New Orleans. When I Louisiana. tell you, I'm so weak over here, y'all. I'm being over laughing. And I get it because we don't even say our anatomically correct body parts in the church. I have been to church services where pastors preach about circumcision in the pulpit and don't say the word penis. How yeah. do you talk about circumcision and not say the word? Yeah, because we think our bodies are bad. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot say that God is good 
and God created me and I am bad. The math ain't mathing. The math ain't mathing. God is good and God created you. That means everything about you is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. I have so much to say that just doesn't align with like, you know, the brand of the podcast. So I'm going to just let but you say all things. But listen, I'm amen in, in my shondo. <laughs> Allison, you got to step up and shake the tables. You have a platform for a reason, right? And so don't be like these preachers and pastors out here who study the truth in seminary and know it and then get back and be like, well, I can't preach that in my church. Yeah. Oh, I can't say that on my podcast. Yeah. In your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I remember, um, I remember going through what I call, well, I didn't call it that then, but now I see it was my deconstruction phase or whatever you want to call it. Then mm-hmm. I was like, I just don't, I don't, I no longer subscribe to the idea that fornication is in. I'm just going to partake. <laughs> and it was phenomenal. Fornication is not premarital sex. When Paul, not Jesus, because Jesus never tells us what to do with our body parts, mm-hmm. number one. So are you a Christian or a that, Pauline? That's a whole other episode. I'm just like, listen, Hello. what did Jesus say? Back to, Y'all back keep to preaching Paul. Who, who died on the cross? Okay. Because Jesus ain't said nothing. <laughs> Jesus did not say anything. And I hear some people like, oh, well, you just want to have your cake. You just want to sin and feel good in it. Like, it's not sin. Sin is separation from God. The only time... I felt separated from God when it came to sex was when I was living into family, church, and society's guilt and shame around my body. That was it. Now I masturbate freely. Now I engage in sexual activity with men. Oh, Oh, what? Uh, Did I? You see? (laughs) Are you ready for this, Allison? I wasn't ready. (laughs) I wasn't ready, sis. Help, Lord. Help, Jesus. Because some of y'all think you're in love with this man, but really it's just the sex is good. And if you would just rub one out instead of texting him, you would have broken up with him about three, four months ago. If I'm on your street, just at Venmo, at LaVon Briggs, cash app, dollar sign, pastor base. (laughs) Also, and we're going to get into the purity culture part of this too, because that's a major part. Yeah, totally. But I also, you know, have to say that a lot of us, have, you know, toted around this, you know, oh, I'm celibate or I'm abstinent when the truth is you just don't have anybody to. That is also participate, you know? Yeah. So we go around saying like, and and, and I'm guilty of like, oh, I'm I'm celibate, but it's like, hey, you didn't have the opportunity. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You was in Utah. You was, you didn't have, hey, what, what, no black men out there. You was just celibate by default. Okay. So like, let's not act holier than thou when truth is, if opportunity was there, you would know. Hello, or because if really uh, Ralph hope, Angel, I really hope it's not listening to this episode. I'm gonna be hey, like, Mama, Mom, don't listen to this one. Mom, don't listen, listen to, to it. it. Tweet me, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Ralph Angel, Idris Elba, you know what I'm saying. One of them show up. Listen, it's gonna be a different story. Right? Insert here repeatedly, sir. <laughs> Here's the thing. Fornication, when Paul was writing about it, he, you got to remember, they were early Christians in Rome. So -hmm. they were already under imperialism. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a new tribe of believers, you have to do everything you can to insulate the tribe so that it can what? It can grow. It's giving very much colonization. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) So Paul knew that there were foreign women who are baddies, right? It's just like when it's spring break and all the fly women come to your city and you just be like, oh, where you from? Like, who are you? It's that kind of thing. 
And so he was talking about illicit sexual activity. Sex work was culturally acceptable in that day and age. And we shouldn't be shaming sex workers now (laughs) because sex work is in the Bible, praise the Lord. And so we got to talk about how fornication, the term, has been co-opted by oppressive powers that want to control your body and your sexuality. Because if I can control your sexuality, I can control your body. And if I can control your body, I can control your mind. If I can control your mind, I can control your spirit. And so there are a lot of people who are banking on you being sexually bound so they can control you. There are a lot of people who will lose their power over you if you accepted your sexuality. And accepting your sexuality does not mean that I'm out here having sex with any and everybody. It just means knowing that you cannot shame me for what my body does God given me and naturally. Yeah. I ain't gonna hold you now. I'm like, listen, Lord, see, I'm, 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 I'm 31. Okay. And see, there are some things that, that happen biologically every four weeks. And I'm just like, okay, I got to find somebody. Because my body is telling me it is baby making time. And- Look, talk about it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is what's the this is why I have an issue with religious communities that don't talk about the body. Because a lot of times we talk about sex because that's the risque, controversial thing, right? It gets the people going. But if we're not talking about sex, we're not talking about bodies. And if we're not talking about bodies, we're not talking about regular or irregular menstrual cycles. We're not talking about getting your mammogram. You know, we're not talking about getting your prostate exam. Like it's very simple things that are very important to our health. And so to be body positive for me says that our bodies are good and holy just as they are. And so That's when powerful. it comes to how our body, God cares about our bodies, one, and God yeah. cares about what happens to our bodies. So the fact that you sense this desire to nest and procreate is biological. Like it's divinely designed in your DNA for you to feel this way. Similarly, when we experience, y'all ready for the O word? When we experience an orgasm, there is a feel-good chemical that is released in our body. It's the same chemical that's released when we breastfeed so that we are connecting to our babies, right? And it lasts in women three to four weeks. This same feel-good chemical lasts in a man two to three days. Wow. So you are thinking this man can bring me pleasure. This man can fend for me, build a home. Like it's very primal, right? It's very <laughs> primal. Um, and he's like, okay, I'm over it. Next, next hit. Yeah. So now we have men and well, people, straight men and straight women. This is not true for people who are not straight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So when straight men and straight women get together, we have these sexual encounters. Women can feel like I really do like this man. I am attached to him. You might not like him, but your body is responding chemically mm. to him. And so that is something that is important because there are a lot of women who are saying, God said, that's my husband. And really you're just chemically bonded to him. Ooh. I also want to add, I, I, I said this in a couple episodes ago with, uh, it was an episode with Keith Roberson. That same chemical is also released in times of worship. Mm, um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's the same sensation. Um, we were, yes. I was joking about it on that episode, but it's actually like scientifically proven. Um, there are similar chemicals that are released at times of, um, passion. And also, you know, when you're in the spirit, 
<laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah. That makes sense to me because when we think about the deepest part of ourselves, what yes. Audrey Lord would call the erotic, right? Mm-hmm. The erotic is not inherently pornographic. Is so important in her essay, Uses of the Erotic. She talks about how the erotic is our creative force. Mm. It's our life force, particularly as women. And so when you are in worship and you are connecting to the creator, your co-createdness is coming out. So of course you're going to feel orgasmic bliss. It's not mm-hmm. that you're coming, quote unquote, in right, your body. Right, you right. Put- Please hear us clearly. We are not saying that. <laughs> That in worship, your mind is elsewhere. No, I like, mean there might that might be true for some people. Right. I don't want to shame anybody because you your body does what your body does. Yeah. Worship could be a turn on for some people, right? But this chemically like, speaking, it's the same chemical. At the same time, like you don't gotta be a married Christian having sex to only gospel music. Like that's not. <laughs> you could put on Tank, sweetheart. It's okay. You could put Listen. on when we. That Raheem Devon to get you in trouble, all right? Listen, Raheem Devon and D'Angelo, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> my God today. So before we do a deeper dive into purity culture, I do want to finish up this first part about the spirituality, the African spirituality. How do we as Black Christians connect with our ancestral identity yeah. and culture and roots without dabbling into other belief systems. And you spoke on it a little bit, but I want to go a little bit further into that because I know that a lot of the questions that I have had and I know my peers have had is like, how do we do this without it being witchcraft? Like, wouldn't that be, if if I am um, intertwining multiple belief systems, wouldn't that be multiple gods? Wouldn't that be, you know, um, separating deity? Like, can you speak to that? I can. Absolutely. So as black Christians, we've been habituated to believe that Jesus is Lord and anyone else is going to hell. Right. Yeah. First of all, hell is not a real place. That's another podcast. You will have to bring me back for part two. (laughs) Hell is not not ready for that. Hell is not real. When Jesus was talking about the furnace or the fiery place in the Bible, he was talking about an actual incinerator talking about how things are transformed and turned to dust <laughs> and ash. It's my whole, my, but my whole life says holiness or hell. I'm, I don't, I don't yeah. understand. Okay. And I get it. When your identity is built upon these religious beliefs that have been instilled in you to begin to question them is to begin to question your very identity. And so I get it. And nobody mm. wants to think that their pastor, their grandma, yeah. their mama, papa, nana, mother, father, Joe, cousin, Joe, whoever lied to them. Yeah. But, if we're honest whether they knew it or they didn't we didn't get the full story that's all I'm gonna say there's more to the story than what we have been conditioned to believe when it comes to Jesus and so for me understanding that Jesus is African I'm like that means he had African mama he had African aunties he was learning African ways of being so what was he influenced by because even when you look to the scripture and you see things like Jesus says speak to this mountain and this mountain will be moved in every African traditional religion nature is a critical element of that belief system ain't no white man gonna be out in nature talking about speak to this mountain ain't nobody from London England Ireland gonna be doing what That was an African man who knew that because God created the mountains, because God created the mustard seed, God is in that thing. And so you can speak to that. And because God is in you, that's God speaking to God. So God got to move God's self. 
one thing that I'm learning to do is this one, noticing a pattern mm-hmm. um, of what I've been taught and their mm-hmm. level of education. And then what I'm hearing from people, specifically black women who are well-educated, have divinity degrees, have masters of theology. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not one, you know, to, to, to argue against like straight up like education, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. it's like this, the math maths right um but also it's like but this goes against everything that i yeah taught. so yeah. there's this like internal wrestle like whoa. absolutely yeah no i understand so i was i started seminary in 2009 right so i've been working with this for a very long mm-hmm. time when i was first when i first got there i was like oh there are gay people here Oh, y'all don't think Jesus is the way, the truth, and life? I was like, y'all all going to hell. Like, <laughs> I so I was like, these people ain't saved for like the first year and a half. But once I started to unfold to the process of seminary and I started to say, okay, God, what is it that I'm supposed to get from this, right? That's where things changed for me. And so hell as a concept didn't come until about the 1700s in England when the church wanted to have rule and control over people. We hear this phrase, the separation so of recent, church. considering like it's all of very creation. Recent. I mean, think about it. the King James Version of the Bible came out in 1611. What, what else was happening in 1611, Allison? In a moment. <laughs> I don't know that I knew that year so like I I don't speak about this except for okay. my like apologist friends but I okay. have questions about King James who is King James who like who he is you know what I'm saying like I don't, I don't I don't really f with King James like that okay I don't know who that man is but when you say 1611 some it, that's a very vivid image that, that comes to mind because we already know what was happening in 1611 right like right slavery. the 1619 project yeah right? Which yeah is all about enslaved Africans getting to the American shores for the first time that on record anyway. Yeah. Um, so that just, that just kind of, you know, I'm gonna have to sit with that for a second. Okay. I I, I had had some questions about King James, but you said saying that you're specifically, it it validates what I had been thinking. It validates my questions and concerns kind of, kind of thing. So yeah, we'll have to table that for later. Okay. So yeah. So, okay. So back to, spirituality, right? So when you realize the African-centered nature of Christianity, hopefully that helps you to decolonize slash liberate your lens around your faith. Because when we hear words like witchcraft, Mm -hmm. sorcery, we got to be very careful about who was giving us that language. Because when we look to the motherland, when we look to ancient West African tribes, first of all, women were pillars in the community. Elders, there were councils that led the village and there would be a leader, but they would all seek God together. And the leader, much like Black Panther, (laughs) would take the wisdom of the women to see what would be best for the tribe, right? And so when I have an African ethic, when I think about that, I'm like, who were they calling witches, first of all? Whether you're talking about women on the continent mm-hmm. or you're thinking about the Salem witch trials, they were women who were healers. There were women who were able to pray and use things in nature like herbs and roots and things like that, which your grandma, big mama and them do down in Gullah Geechee in North Carolina, Charlotte, shoot, in Newark, New Jersey, okay? <laughs> you mm-hmm. had a cold, your grandmama knew the elixir to whip up to make you feel better and to break that fever. Mm-hmm. That is not demonic, that is healing. And so witchcraft, Ooh. quote unquote, 
is the language that colonizers used to condemn our women healers. So when you think this thing is witchcraft, baby, this is actually God healing through God's people. So think about who would want you to not know your healing power. Think about who benefits from Big Mama not making her elixir, but you being on this prescription pill that you got to take every month. You just put it together like that. When you condemn natural healing and you demonize it, that makes people fearful of it, even if they mm -hmm. have gifts. There are some of you under the sound of my voice right now who hear things, see things, have dreams, have visions, sense things. Your hair stands up on the back of your neck or on your forearms. You like, what is, what did I just see something moving in the corner? Your ancestors who done passed on be showing up you see them clear as day or they come to you in a dream, that is not demonic. Those are spiritual gifts. Now we had to demonize that so that people wouldn't think you were out of your mind and mm -hmm. harm you or send you to another plantation. But we are in 2022, darling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and those gifts are healing. It is not witchcraft. It is not demonic. It is all God. So... So one of the major themes that came out of that witchcraft episode was, was pretty much like whenever we place our, rel our reliance um, primarily on an object or a thing um, on the creation versus the creator, that's the, the, the delineating factor that makes it witchcraft, whereas we are... Um, depending on this right so we're depending on that elixir right that that mama made um for your healing versus um depending on god to give me the wisdom to make this elixir whatever do, do you know what i'm saying like that's incorrect that's an incorrect understanding of witchcraft what you're trusting in is the wisdom that god gave your mama and god working through her hands and the god in her to bless you and serve you and then for you to trust that the god who created the herbs can also bless the elixir to heal your body we the thing is is that we have this idea that god is outside of ourselves that mm -hmm. god is some being up in the sky that we yeah. have to worship god you're the god that sits high and looks low no god is in us that's what jesus yeah. taught us god incarnated god's self and came to earth as a black man who was a revolutionary and a refugee to teach us how to buck against the system and care for the most marginalized among us that is the gospel that i follow when we focus on well i am a worm and i am nothing and all this other kind of stuff mm. it means that you don't believe that god is as good as god is you cannot say that God is good and God created you and you are bad. It doesn't make sense. And yeah. so when we step into our power, it's not that we're putting our trust in these crystals. Ultimately, it's the God working in us to do it. It is a physical manifestation of a God that we cannot see. When I look at you, I see God. When I look at nature, I see God. But that doesn't mean that that's the only representation of God. God can show God's self in any way that you need God to show up in your life so that you know without a shadow of a doubt that that is the divine. Mm. And so whatever helps you to feel closer to God, that is holy. Sin is not some legalistic list 
list of do's and don'ts that you got to get right or else. This idea that God is some sadomasochist just waiting for you to fuck up so that you can be punished, that is abusive. That's religiously and spiritually abusive. And many of us are traumatized by religion and don't know it. And so I just want to say that sin is actually separation from God. And so if there's anything that makes you feel like you were not worthy of God's love, that is the sin. If at any point in this episode, you need to just pause it and just let stuff marinate, please do that. I invite you to like process this in chunks if you need to, Um, because I want you to get all of this. This is some good stuff. Levon, how would you encourage somebody who is considering walking away from the faith because of this very thing, because they have religious bondage and religious trauma, they don't know it, or because they're, they, they've wrestled so much and that, you know, all of their teaching um, contradicts with what they feel internally mm-hmm. because of colonization, because of white supremacy, yeah. because of white evangelicalism, because of how we do this thing um, in the American context. How would you encourage them? I would encourage you to trust your gut, beloved. I know that many times when we step away from churches or the religion altogether, that there is a grotesque sense of a loss of community. That if I leave this space, where am I going to go for Sunday dinner? Where am I going to go for Thanksgiving dinner? I get it. And I just want you to know that God has a community for you, even if it's people that you meet online through this podcast community, you know, follow the Shades of Brown podcast hashtag, follow me on social media, get in the comment section. Like there are people who think like you, you are not the only person thinking this thing, right? The scripture says that the enemy desires to sift us as wheat and you're going through this transformation and everybody around you is telling you they're praying for you. They're backing up away from you. Oh, that's demonic. That's evil. No, it's not. It's liberation. And the fact that liberation has been demonized, well, that tells you why. It serves your oppressors for you to oppress yourself. You cannot divorce religion from colonization on this land. And so when you start to say, why when something is evil or bad, it's Black. It's staying Black. It's Black as sin, right? Why is it that when we talk about what's good and holy and pure, it's white? So now you think every time you look at your black skin, that's bad. Like, no, God made you perfect the way you are. And so anything that helps you to celebrate who you are, any space that does that, there are spaces, there are resources, like you're on the right path. You are divinely guided and you are on the right path. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank Mm -hmm. you for that. I love that you said that so many of us are having these same thoughts, these exact Mm -hmm. same um, ideas and, and struggles. Um, and I hope that this like gives you some relief, um, Mm -hmm. as you're listening and you're like, you're not alone, you know, like you're not, you are not not going to hell. You're not (laughs) evil. You're not bad. Don't nobody need to lay hands on you unless you want somebody to lay hands on you with consent. Praise the Lord. Listen now, I'm all for some uh, blessed oil and some hands laying. Okay, listen, do do what you got to do, Lord. <laughs> listen, I was talking about another kind of laying on the hands, preferably oh. from the six five dark skin bearded right. type. But you know, that's I pay too. both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see that. <laughs> I love to see it. Lay so, yeah, your I hands would, on me, Jesus. I don't mind. I'm screaming. And brother. You know, isn't that an interesting conversation man. to have about Jesus laying hands, about Jesus being horny, 
Because we talk about the hands, eyes, feet of Christ, but we don't talk about the nipples, anus, and penis of Christ. We want to talk about, right? Jesus is both human and divine, both divine and human. And he came as a black man. And isn't it interesting that all these renderings of Christ on the cross, and he got that one tiny piece of scarf wrapped around his waist. He okay, no so how about this? This this, this <laughs> question comes to me, um, and this will go into the whole purity culture thing. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesus was all divine, right? All human. But we didn't, it's not, at least it's not documented in the King James. It's not documented that he had any romantic relationships. If premarital sex isn't a sin, why wasn't Jesus out here, you know saying, shooting clubs up? Just because it wasn't recorded doesn't mean it didn't happen. There are some things that you do that do not. There are some things that you do that do not end up on your Instagram stories. And it's for a reason. And so we got to be honest about the Bible, how we got it. The Bible didn't just fall gilded from the sky one day. It was written by men for men at a particular time with a particular agenda. And it was handed down to us and not just handed down to us straight from the horse's mouth. There have been councils, ecumenical councils that have met starting in as early as 325 BC, right? That we're saying, we want to include this book in the Bible. Let's leave that one out. Like, we have to be honest about that. And also when people, when biblical scholars were translating the Bible, they were picking and choosing which meanings of which words they wanted to use. And so every translation is inherently an interpretation. If I'm sitting down to the biblical text, the original language, and I see this one word can have nine different meanings and I pick one Meaning one could be very different from meaning two, which is very different from meaning three. And they could all have different uh, energies, right? Yeah. In the final text. So- And implications, the, yeah. Right. And the so the Bible that we inherited is not the Bible in its original form. I know that's so difficult to honor, but we got to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you say purity culture has informed the way- we view pleasure. So purity culture is steeped in the illusion of white supremacy, right? I say that because there's nothing supreme about whiteness. We need to call it what it is. Mm -hmm. It is white terrorism, white psychosis, white Mm -hmm. delusion. It's not white supremacy. Anywho. Um, And so when Black folks started to, in the antebellum South, right, we get this freedom we're learning what it means to be free, even in a society that is still very much trying to enslave us, talking about our ancestors here. And we started to build our own Christian denominations. And quickly, Black Christian denominations started to be stratified or categorized by class. And so it meant that if you were educated, if you were a business person, if you were in high society, you would probably be AME. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the sounds 80s, are, they want, about right. <laughs> you know, we don't do all that. You mm-hmm. know, we ain't doing all that. They're shouting, dignified. Right? Mm-hmm. They're dignified because in our ancestors minds and in many of our minds today to be seen as accepted by white people is to be seen as civilized or classy or right. Even this idea of black excellence, it's a scam because anytime we talk about black excellence, it's in proximity to whiteness. It's in cahoots with capitalism. 
y'all don't talk about, oh, LaVon took a nap today instead of overworking herself. Like that's, that's black excellence too. Healing is black excellence too. And so healing is black excellence too. Put it on a t-shirt, LaVon. <laughs> and I will, right? But the thing is that purity culture came from this idea that if I just quote unquote, keep myself pure, if I wear the right clothes, if I don't engage in sexual activity, then I will be seen as more holy or more pure. And that was coming from this desire to be accepted by white people, but that was never going to happen. And so the black church, which was born out of a necessity for a safe space for worship, which was essentially a site of liberation, has turned on on itself and not every black church there are progressive liberation center black churches i'm not saying every black church but the black church writ large right capital b capital c has turned on itself and internalized the very oppression that other people were using on us so whereas white people were oppressing us now black men with power want to oppress women want to oppress lgbtq plus folks want to oppress anybody who's not a straight Black <laughs> cis hetero man, right? Yeah. And so purity culture comes to say, you got to keep your body on lock. And if you are so consumed denying your body what your body is doing naturally, you won't have time to show up to hold the church accountable. You won't have time or energy to lobby against policymakers who are implementing policies that are anti you. You won't have time to show up at the town hall meeting and make your voice known to the city council because I'm over here upset that I'm getting horny watching an Usher video. What? Make it make sense. So purity culture is a scam. Yes. (laughs) And for those of you who read Josh Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, he recanted his whole entire message. The book has stopped being in publication. They're not distributing it anymore. Oh, okay. So this might be before your time, but there's a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye that I think sold like 20 million copies. And it was basically talking about how like to have a holy marriage, you shouldn't kiss, you shouldn't hold hands. Like being at the altar is the first time that you should kiss your spouse. Like it was really, that's really that, bad. That's that Hilda Lindsay stuff. I ain't never subscribed to that. <laughs> Pinky cults. Pinky promise cult. <laughs> Mm-mm. I was I, I had to check out. I was I was I was like this. I was like, this lady is wonderful. And I was like whoa whoa whoa. You, she's light skin and she's pretty. Mixed, raised she's, by white folks. Yeah, and coming on here quoting a few scriptures, calling like, you sinful. Yeah, I said oh I had to. I had to check out women. Hello. Yeah. She's just as bad as these black male podcasters out here who are preying on black women's desire to be in healthy, romantic, loving relationships. Yeah, I I don't subscribe. So you kind of talked about this already when you were talking about, you know, (laughs) um, fornication and premarital sex, but um, embracing our sensuality and owning our sexuality, it can really be frightening for many of us who we Mm -hmm. don't know how to separate that from sex, right? How to separate sexuality from the actual act of sex. So sure. for the 
single and saved folks, you know, like myself. <laughs> and even for the married and saved folks, because just because you have a ring on your finger doesn't mm, yeah. mean you just automatically turn into some sexual goddess, right? That's true. There That's are true. a lot of married Christian couples who do not have a good sex life because if you are a woman and you sit in church for 30 years and you hear Sunday after Sunday, if you have sex before marriage, you're going to hell. Yeah. Good girls don't give head. Keep your legs closed. Like that does not help you to become a sexually healthy person. Yeah. So how do and we accomplish so, this? How do we embrace we our do sexuality, it. even if we're still struggling with the idea about, you sure. know, premarital sex being a sin or not? Sure. So the first thing I would do is to separate sensuality and sexuality, right? When you look at sensuality in the Bible, it's defined as being lewd or lascivious, which basically means that you sleep, sleep around a lot, it's dirty, it's whatever, mm-hmm. right? Which sleeping around does not autom- automatically make you dirty. That's another conversation. I define sensuality as the ultimate practice in mindfulness. I define sensuality as we are creatures who, if our faculties are functioning properly, we can see, we can touch, we can taste, we can feel, we can experience the world through our senses. And so engaging your sensuality could be putting on shea butter or coconut oil after your shower. It could be luxuriating in a rich, delicious bubble bath. It could be sipping a warm cup of hot herbal tea, uh, excuse me. It could be sipping on a warm cup of herbal tea. It could be taking in a gorgeous sunrise or sunset. Those are all sensual activities. They have nothing to do with yeah. your genitalia. Yeah, it could be <laughs> dancing in the mirror. It could be dancing in the mirror. Yeah. Bonus points if it's naked because that's some next level self-love, yeah. honey. Yeah. And so for me, so powerful, I by look the way. at- So powerful. Mm-hmm, I look at my sensuality as a spiritual practice and Mm. that informs how I embrace my sexuality. Mm. I'm a sexually liberated woman of faith. I am also not interested in having sex with a man that's not my man. Just because you're sexually liberated doesn't mean you just out here fucking. Like, and I think we have these binaries in our mind, Mm -hmm. like you're either Virgin Mary or Jezebel. Mm -hmm. And first of all, Jezebel wasn't really all about sex. It was also about the fact that she had an army and she had power. So they were shook. But when it comes to our sexuality, owning your sexuality does not mean having a lot of sex. And I think that's what we got to understand. That is about accepting that part of your identity as good and sacred and holy and embracing it and using it in ways that feel good to you. Yeah, that's so beautiful. All right. Last question. I'm going to do a two in one here. So mm-hmm. with this purity culture, you know, as you've mentioned, it's steeped and rooted in white supremacy and also, you know, the patriarchy. Um, mm-hmm. But we as women have um, done a disservice to ourselves by enabling these systems. So oh, absolutely. We, so so how do we gracefully be, begin to gracefully disconnect from these systems that we have participated in? Yeah, I think we need to honor what Reverend Dr. Nichelle Guidry, who is the Dean of Chapel at Sisters Chapel at Spelman College says, which is sisterhood saves. Mm. And whenever you see that word save or salvation in the Bible, it's not talking about rescuing you from your sinful soul. It's actually talking about healing. Whenever Mm. you see salvation in the Bible, it means heal. So what must Mm. I do to be saved is what must I do to be healed? And so sisterhood heals. And so we see each other as sisters as how I believe God ordained it for us to be instead of seeing each other as competition Mm -hmm. for the two men who were at your church who got college degrees (laughs) and know John 316. right instead of being competition (laughs) with each other to know that the god of all creation created us to be abundant and abundance means that there's more than enough so anything that is rooted in patriarchy 
misogyny, misogynoir explicitly, it is possible that you have internalized some of that. It is possible that hearing sermons about Sarah being, you know, Abraham had to deny Sarah because she was beautiful. Lot's wife turned around and became a pillar of salt. Eve ate the apple and all of humanity fell into sin. Uh, what's his name? Job's wife was like, why don't you just curse God and die? You got Mary Magdalene. Like we have just heard these amplified stories of women who are seemingly terrible, right? Not getting the full picture of their humanity and why they may have made the decisions that we did. Yeah. And so leaning into sisterhood, leaning into the theory of womanism, which was started by Alice Walker, which centers the experiences, vantage points, and perspectives of Black women, knowing that to be a woman does not make you evil or less than. It does not mean that your life's purpose is to be somebody's help me and to have babies. If that's your heart's desire, then great. But that is not your your purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to glorify the creator in everything that you do. And the way that you do that is by being your most authentic self. And you cannot do that if you do not love who you are. So learning how to love yourself despite the sexism, despite the patriarchy, even as it's tied to God, is how we start to undo this system. Ooh. That's a word. <laughs> Thank you so much, Levon. I appreciate you. Oh, it's my absolute um, pleasure. Yeah, this is whew, this is incredible. I'm gonna like it's rich. This over. It's rich. This it did not like, our hearts burn. This, this is like eight episodes in one. It, and no, here's the thing: <laughs> you caught me at a good time because I just finished my book manuscript, like going Ooh. through the three rounds of edits. So, um, Central Faith: The Art of Coming Home to Your Body is a book for Black women who are currently informally church who have always thought to themselves there's got to be more to it than this and so it's about how do we reintegrate our spirituality our sensuality and our sexuality mm -hmm. and so this journey right to publication in March 2023 is such that I am thinking about these topics broadly and I loved being on this podcast because it helps bring me back to say there are some sisters who are still at point a and are looking at point B with trepidation. Yes. I pass point Z and I'm working through AA, you yeah. know, yeah. BBC. Yeah. And th this was so helpful for me to be like, there are going to be some sisters where I got to start at yes. 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a lot of us. So, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, I really, really am so excited about yeah what's happening right now with Black women demanding more, yes. not settling for the bare minimum, not yes. settling for the crumbs, commanding luxury, softness, ease. Yes. Like I'm here for it. Yeah. And you cannot do any of that without addressing any oppressive part of your religion or spiritual belief system. So I'm okay. proud of you for Thank doing you. this. Yeah. Tell us about your upcoming events and other ways we can support you. Yeah, so you can... Visit my website, LavonBriggs.com and sign up for the email list there so that you're always up to date on the things I have going on. Follow me across all social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, my faves, Instagram, and TikTok <laughs> at LavonBriggs. And if 
this has been good to you and you want to learn more in community, I have my Sensual Faith Academy, also known as Patreon, but Sensual Faith Academy sounds sexier. And so if you go to patreon.com slash LaVon Briggs, you can sign up for the tier that's right for you. And if you're like, girl, I have more questions about this spiritual stuff. You just wrote a book. I want to write my book. Whatever your passion project is and you want to work one-on-one with me, um, then I'm also a spiritual life coach. And so you can go to calendly.com slash LaVon Briggs and sign up for a slot there. And of course, the book is coming out in March. Pre-sales will start this winter. And so stay tuned for how you can buy and support so we can get and stay free. Yes, y'all support. We've got less than a minute, but this next segment is Brownie Points, where we give ourselves kudos for something that we've done recently or not done that we're really, really proud of. It can be something super small and minute or something incredibly major. Um, So what's something that you're giving yourself Brownie Points for today, LaVon? I completed my first book manuscript. We went through three rounds of edits and y'all, I have an editor at the publisher and then there's a black woman editor who, extra brownie points, was the last person to edit the work of Dr. Maya Angelou. Wow. So here he is. She's also my editor. Wow. And the next step is for it to be typeset and for us to look at these initial print versions of my book that's coming out March 2023. And there are not a lot of published authors out there. That's what distinguishes you from being a writer. Writers write, authors are published. So we out here. Bloop. Period. Oh, I love it. I'm giving myself brownie points this week for making some hard decisions that were mm-hmm. um may have not been, I don't know, popular for or or I was worried about, you know, like what I, what the perception would be. But I'm like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Doing this for me. And it gave me so much peace. Um mm-hmm. and I'm really, really Good. proud of that. Do, for doing I'm hard so things. Glad. I'm made for hard things. So you yes. can do hard things. Yes, yes. So thank you, thank you again so much for being here. You guys, if you enjoyed this uh, episode, please leave a five-star rating on Apple. Follow me on social media, IG and Facebook. It's everything Ali B. On TikTok, it's at Mother Wound Healer. And on YouTube, mm. I think it's I think it's everything I like be on YouTube as well. Child, that's that one new, but out. But y'all, you'll find yes, it on YouTube you'll channel. It on, <laughs> you'll find it on IG. And share this. Please share this far and wide. We need to have these conversations. We need to stir the pot. So share this, yes, share this, we share do, this. Honey. And if you want some this and that merch, because this is all what this is about, embracing the gray area, uh, head to everythingalib.myspreadshop.com or just check the link in my bio to get you some merch. And thank you again for being here. And I leave you with this, y'all. I hope that you be well, love well, and be loved well. You deserve that. All right, y'all. Till next time. Bye. Peace.